for joining us for Woke Moments, a conversation on issues and hot topics impacting young generations. My name is Janet Kelly, and I am the Executive Director of Sanctuary of Hope, as well as your host. So now let's jump into a moment of awakening. Woke Moments. But I want to thank you for joining us today for the close of the month of National Foster Care Month. Uh, my name is Janet Kelly, and I am your host, and I'm also the founder and executive director of Sanctuary of Hope. But before we kind of begin or get into the groove of, of why we're even here today to talk about foster care and promise, I think it's really important that we take a moment or note of reflection and to um, really think about this historical moment at this time where we're reliving the underbelly of racial injustice that fueled the 1992 Los Angeles rebellion and for those who may call it a riot and now we're at 28 years later and there's another fueling of injustices caused by the deaths of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, and even the, I would say, racial agitation um, with the bird watching incident that happened in New York with Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper, um, who could have cost a person's life. So right now, you know, as we speak, even as this podcast is going on for Woke Moments, um, there's a movement to a resistance. Um, there's a movement and a resistance. And there's a, a strong call for change um, in our country. And there is a strong surge within our youth and young adults who want to see this change um, in a more expedient manner and fashion. And so for, this, for today's book moment, before we launch, I think it's very important. Um, one of the things that I, I found really moving uh, yesterday was the, the mayor's press conference and what Reverend Juju, and for most of us who call her that, but she's Reverend Najuma Smith-Pollard talked about living in power and what this moment actually means in the context of um, what you see visibly in the streets. And so what we want to do is share a reflection of what she had to share yesterday on this, on this day before we begin the podcast. So bear with us. Thank you. But we have to do it with responsibility. Pentecost is also about power. And like many of you, I am tired of hashtagging rest in power to black bodies, men, women, boys, girls. I'm tired of rest in power. My role in this season is to encourage people to live in power. We were given power. We must live in power. We must speak in power. We must stand in power. We must gather together in power, but power has a responsibility. And so as we do that, we must do it responsibly. To all of the parents, 
I am one of those parents who's lost a black son in the streets. So I know your pain, I know your anger, I know your frustration to the families. We got you, I understand, I've been there. I know what it's like to deal with a system that doesn't necessarily take the victim and their family at first. I understand that. So yes, in power we stand, in power we speak, in power we rise up, but power has a responsibility. And I'm tired of hashtagging rest in power. I want to live in power. I want you all to live in power. Dr. Murray, when he spoke 30 years ago, wanted us to stand and speak and to live in power. To the protesters, protest in power. And power is not always given. Sometimes you have to take it back. And so we stand in power. We speak in power. We live in power. And that's the right thing to do. To, our, to all of my faith leaders, my colleagues who are faith leaders, clergy of every kind, of every faith tradition, I'm just one of y'all, I'm just one, but there's many out there, many leaders out there, and we should be speaking in power, speaking truth to power, standing in power, but power has a responsibility for all of us, and we have to do that with responsibility when we take back our power. Because like you, I'm tired of hashtag rest in power. I want me, my children, my grandchildren to live in power. To those that are creating mayhem, we ask you to take a step back and let those who are fighting for the power to come under injustice, take a step back and let those who are protesting in power, let those who are standing and speaking in power, let them do their work. We don't need no more mayhem. We've been there, done that. And so I, my, my prayer is that we all would live in power, stand in power, speak in power, because it is that time. And we're not waiting, we don't have to wait, but we want to live in power. And we can do that if we work together. We can do that if we stand together. We can do that if we use our power responsibly. Power has a responsibility. Thank you, um, Reverend Juju, again, for sharing those words. And as again, um, as I shared, this is a very important reflection moment. And one of the things that she challenges um, us to do is to live in our power and understand the responsibility of our power. And so um, I want to uh, introduce to you the guests for our woke moments today for our topic which is foster care and promise. And so we have with us, starting with our, our young people, um, Jackie Lainez and Simone Todman. And for our Sanctuary of Hope staff, we have with us Myson Way. And so there's gonna be a couple of things that we're gonna to wanna to accomplish. But before we get into kind of like our topic and what we want to accomplish, I want to open up this space for our young people to share a few reflections about what was just shared with them, as well as um, open up space for what they're thinking about as it relates to what's happening with the racial injustice um, that's happening in our nation, as well as how young people are responding to that. 
And then we will have Mice and Way kind of recap and also share some reflections from a um, life coach perspective to help support young people during this time. So let's start with who, let's start with you, Simone. Okay. So um, I just, I just feel like um, there is a lot of police killing African Americans around the world. And I understand everyone's coming from, they're upset about it, you know, and they just want to see it stop. Um, you know, all around the world, there's a lot of riots and things like that. And I, I believe in peaceful protesting. And, you know, I just want all to stop because I have three younger African American brothers who, you know, I don't want them to be afraid of the police and I don't want them to get shot and killed by the police. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when uh, the woman was speaking, it, it really touched me because, you know, I just feel like all, all that's going on is just nonsense and it, it really should stop. Mm -hmm. And Jackie, oh, sorry. I saw you just um, had something to drink, some water to drink. Um, what do you have to share um, about this moment in time? My thoughts are a lot about, you know, what's going on in the world right now. It really, really saddens me and it breaks my heart. Um, I would be, I personally, I think it would be very selfish of me being Hispanic to say that violence is not the answer, but I am not black, and I can only imagine the pressure that black people have had to live under for so long, you know, and they try doing it the nice way. They try pro uh, protesting the nice way, and it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I think it'd be very selfish if I say violence is not the answer, mm -hmm. but something needs to be done. Something needs to be done, and um, I think we have to stand together because I feel like the pressure is towards minorities, you know, we see everything in the media. I watch the news in English and Spanish, and mm -hmm. I get to see how in the um, English news, they make Hispanic people seem like the bad people. And then when I watch on the TV on Telemundo, mm -hmm. and all that black people seem like the aggravators and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and I think it's all a setup for using us like puppets, and it's time for us to start thinking about things and actually open our eyes because in acting the way we are, we're definitely given the right to think the way they do about us. Great, fantastic. And so Myson, can you share with us um, quickly um, some of your reflections and thoughts and how we can support our young people during this time? Myson? You know what? Um, yes, yes, can, can you hear me? Yes. In, 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 All right. Oh, okay. I'm gonna just speak slowly, just in case it uh, so it catches up. Okay. But um, you know what? Um, honestly, about now, it's just more about like seeking to understand. There's sometimes uh, misinformation can be spread, and sometimes people like capitalize on the chaos. I think it's just very, very sad as far as like what we deal with when it comes like police brutality. And um, it's just, it's, it's just really sad. And when I look at the other factor, like this old shutdown and what's been going on, like the Trayvon Martin, uh, that case was a 
that happened in 2012, you know, and that, so that was like a whole like eight years ago. And I remember being a kid during the LA riots, like I actually attended fame as well. And you know, I remember that sister who was speaking, but I was like seven, eight years old at the time. So I would say for the youth, it's really just about just hearing where they're coming from and providing space for them to be able to express themselves because um, chaos and just all the confusion and violence that happens as a result, it just, it can seem very like claustrophobic. There's a difference between like protesters and looters. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of people who don't necessarily have everybody's best intentions at heart. So that's your question, I would say, just on creating safe spaces for you to be able to express themselves. And then like myself kind of just being a listening ear. Mm-hmm. So I act, you don't necessarily have to do a whole lot of talking. It's just more about me as a life coach listening. Great, that's fantastic. And so getting back to our topic at hand and why we're here today and why folks are tuned into our Woke Moments podcast is because they really want to hear from you young adults uh, specifically. And they also want to hear from you, Myson, from a perspective of how um, uh, a caring adult can be support can be supportive and help lead to positive youth outcomes. But we really do want to focus on um, a couple of things that I think are going to be um, important takeaways from today's discussion. And one of them being that you know a child well a child welfare experience. Can, can lead to a positive outcome for you, right? It can. Um, and that all of our young adults and even those who are currently in the foster care system have promise and potential. And it's the strength of that promise and potential lies within their support system as well as their support networks that can open up doors to opportunities. And then the last being um, the importance of caring institutions and adults and the role that they play in providing guidance um, so that foster youth are able to to achieve successful outcomes. And so, you know, those are kind of like the three points that we're we're gonna hope that we're gonna get to the takeaway. And so I am going to call on you, Simone, first, for you to share about your foster care experience. And one of the amazing things that um, I, I got from your kind of, your sharing of positive, kind of like positive outcomes with you was that you had shared how you had spent time um, at Heritage. And then from there, you're now currently in college. So, it's interesting to know kind of your foster care experience and what has led you to going to college. Okay. Well, my foster care experience wasn't the great, it wasn't the greatest. I definitely struggled a lot. Um, I have been in the system since uh, 2006 and you know, it was really tough for me just adjusting and just accepting the fact that my mother wasn't um, able to take care of me and my siblings. And so, you know, the first couple of years, I really struggled. But, you know, later on, at 17, I was able to really realize that, you know, I just have to take care of myself. And if I want something done, I have to do it myself. And if I want a roof over my head, 
I have to be the person that works hard to make sure that those things are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I went to a heritage group homes and I stayed there for two years, which was a huge success for me because I was never stable my whole life to about, you know, 30 different homes over the span of about 15, 10 to 15 years. And so that was a huge accomplishment for me. I also was able to get back into high school. I had dropped out of high school in ninth grade. So it was also a huge accomplishment for me to get back into high school and uh, graduate. So that was a, another huge accomplishment for me with the help of the group home. Um, they definitely played a huge role in my success. I would definitely say I would I would not be here without them. They definitely were the stepping stone to getting me uh, to where I am. Um, they definitely helped me graduate from high school. I was able to successfully learn how to click, uh, clean and cook and run a household um, by that, from the help of amazing experience for me. And still to this day, I still talk to, you know, a few of the staff and they still give me advice. They're still great you know, people in my life when I hope one day to be just like them, uh, you know, just to help people that are in need and people that want to be helped. Because I was at a stage in my life where I wanted to be helped so that I was able to succeed. Mm-hmm. And what year are you in college right now? This is my second year. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Jackie. Can you share a little bit about your foster care experience? Well, one of the things I know about you, Jackie, and and Myson made sure to say she prefers to be called Jackie, <laughs> is that um, I mean you I mean you you demonstrated a lot of resiliency, and a lot of your resiliency was around you know finding more kind of stable housing. And so if you can, can you kind of share that experience and where you're at now and where you see yourself going? Okay, yes. So um, I think the foster home that helped me the most, not foster home, but group home that helped me the most would be Vista Delmar. I was able to build lifelong friendships. Um, Amy Jaffe, I'm not sure if you guys know her, but, you know, she's a great role model in my life. She could have kicked me out of Vista Delmar so many times, but she never gave up on me despite my drug use, despite my, you know, uh, messed up attitude towards that. So not giving up on me was really what pushed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I graduated and um, was able to transition, I was not stable simply because, you know, I got my own apartment, but I was in an abusive relationship, lost my apartment, and after that, everything just seems to have fallen apart, you know? It was hard to find a stable place. I kept getting kicked out. My mother sitting around me in the house. And so um, I had to get tired of the, the way I was living. I had to get tired of the suffering, the pain I was feeling for me to finally be like, okay, like enough is enough. I don't want to keep living this way. I don't want to keep sleeping in my car. I don't want to keep wondering what is the next time I'm going to eat, if I'm going to eat. And so... I started uh, using my resources, which was places such as Ruth's Place, Sanctuary of Hope. And Ruth's Place is actually where I met my son. And, you know, we started a whole paperwork stuff. And Ruth's Place was able to um, help me secure a Section 8 voucher, which um, my son, as well as Douglas, were able to help me find my apartment. I currently live in Compton, 
in a studio and I was able to get my home furnished by a sense of home, but all that wouldn't have been possible without my support system, including my friend and all the people from Bishop Gilmore, which always had my friends. So I'm grateful for that. And I think, um, Jackie, one of the important things that you point out is how there's a, a, a huge network of providers of which, you know, we, are, we all work together in order to help young people uh, get to a place of stability where your entry point was Ruth's place and engaging with them and then of course securing your Section 8 voucher and then um, connecting with Sanctuary Hope, my son and, and Doug, which our role through our kind of navigation services was to help to try to support and find someone who could um, one, accept the voucher, but also help through the process of connecting you um, uh, with the permanent housing connection, but also at the same time, you know, the, the sense of home, which is a very important um, organization, especially for foster youth, from the time that you actually got housed, they were able to assist you with getting your apartment furnished. And so all of these are kind of critical, I would say time points um, for uh, uh, foster youth, especially to help with, again, achieving whatever your ultimate goal is, whether that's education, whether it's stable housing. And so my son, so talk about kind of when Jackie talks about the connection that you all made, what, how does that kind of facilitation work? How does that I mean, how does that relationship work in order to kind of achieve what that positive outcome may be? Like in her case, it was housing. My son? You know what? Um, honestly, yeah, yeah, can, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, it's, um, it starts with uh, humility and uh, transparency. You know, like oftentimes, like when I'm when I'm interacting with the youth and like my goal is to really create a, a safe space so the youth feels comfortable sharing. And oftentimes that requires you sharing a little bit about yourself. And uh, it's always like baby steps. It's like, you're never going to like figure out somebody's whole life in one conversation. And that's not what we're here for. Mm -hmm. Condition. So you start with the visits seeing about the you know what your goals are and like helping to articulate what someone's dreams or insecurities are it's almost like um, someone feeling comfortable enough to share with you and own like life experience and your own understanding while seeking to understand able to like provide insight uh, Jackie was very much so back with it, witness, like, uh, it really wasn't, it wasn't at all. It's just really more about people being patient with each other. Right. But oftentimes, uh, work has to start within. So it's not just about being patient with each other, but it's about like being patient with ourselves. You know, but like, Jackie's always in the mix to go and do what she had to do. And um, this is Myson, I think um, we're not having a good connection because you're starting to cut oh, off a little. Oh, okay. Do I need one? 
Okay. Uh, let me change the mic. Oh. So we're right, going to move on to kind of like right, the so next point while we're trying to get uh, Mike into a, a very a good connection so he's able to share and weigh in some more. So what would you two say were some of the positive things that you got out of foster care? So for you, Simone, <laughs> what were some of the positive things that you, you think that you received from foster care that you were, you're able to take with you now? I I would definitely say uh, resources and just being able to um, like taking the things that people say to me. Mm -hmm. That's something that I feel is important. I'll keep it with people. And I say resources because uh, definitely growing up in foster care, you have to have resources. That's just how it is. Stable life. We have to have connections. You have to have connections. So very important. Mm -hmm. Your goal is housing, permanent housing, or if your goal is you know education, you have to have resources to help you get to where you need to be, mm -hmm. and you have the people in your life to help you. So I think that's very important. So would you? And we'll probably get to this. I'll, I'll say that question for later. What about you, Jackie? Um, I would say that the most valuable thing would be, besides the relationship I built, it would be the skills I was taught. I was taught. Um, just like Simone, I was able to learn cooking skills as well. Just things that my mother probably wouldn't have taught me, I learned in foster care. Oh, and, yeah. Um, as well as wisdom, you know, while mm -hmm. building relationships with staff, I was able to take a lot of that wisdom. And if we're, if we're talking materialistic, you know, that's something else because um, in the system, I was able to get my citizenship. So, everything hey, man, I was a mess. We're happy for that. So, what would you two say were some of the challenges? I mean, what were some of the challenges of being in foster care? And what were some of the challenges of aging out of foster care? Let's start with you, Simone. So some of the challenges of being in foster care for me was definitely just accepting the fact that my mother was not able to take care of me. That was so hard. And because of that, I acted out and I just didn't, I wouldn't open up to my therapist. I wouldn't talk to anybody about how I felt. So, you know, nobody really wanted to deal with it because I wasn't really willing to open up and willing to you know, accept the fact that I am a I am in the system and I'm a foster and my mother cannot take care of me. So that was one of the, the, the things that hindered me from moving forward so quickly, fastly. Mm -hmm. And so, Jackie, what would you say were kind of like some of the challenges with foster care? Uh, while yeah. being in foster care, I think um, my biggest challenges would be the fact that uh, I was in a lockdown facility. So the real challenge began when, you know, I went from being in a private Catholic high school, went into Vista to a lockdown facility, and now I can't go off grounds, you know, everything is within the same building, and I had to get an IEP. Ever since I got my IEP and I started taking meds and I feel like all these labels were placed on me, um, that's when the conflict began, because I was like, it was a fight within me and the staff, like, I'm not crazy. I don't have, you know, I'm not bipolar. I don't have depression. So that was the biggest thing. I always felt like staff, staff didn't understand me. And um, mm -hmm. so I would always try to retaliate 
can go against what they said. And I would always be like, you're not my mama. My mama don't even love me, so why would you? Yeah. So, so I think what you point out to is sometimes, I know from a youth provider ex, uh, perspective, it's, we have to demonstrate how we're in this for the long haul for you, right? Because it's, sometimes it's, it's, for us, it's taking time for us to get to know you. It's taking time for us to understand you. It's about taking time to develop um, a relationship with you so that um, the relationship that we have is reciprocal, right? And um, oftentimes we see ourselves um, in a role and our role is more of kind of guidance, life lessons. And, um, and it's, so what would you, um, what would you share with other people, other service providers about, you know, if a young person is being resistant or appears to be, right? Or appears to be resistant to um, services or help. I mean, what type of advice or what would, what would, what would you offer? Um, okay, so I would love to share this. Um, something that made me begin to behave in that way is the simple fact that, you know, one day we were sitting at the dinner table and everyone started going to the room and there were three staff, you know, like a long time and whatnot. And amongst them, they began to talk about another youth who was behaving, you know, like resisting and stuff. And she was very disrespectful. Now, personally, I don't think, you know, that's a youth, you're a staff, your job is to be professional to fight for youth behavior. Mm -hmm. So when you sit there in the dinner table and okay, there, there aren't any other youth, but I was there and I heard you guys mm -hmm. speak about this other person. That tells me that you probably do the same thing with me or, you know, mm -hmm. behind my back. And so I think I would tell the staff, you know, like humble yourself. I know that, I know a lot of them don't understand. It's, it's very hard to understand youth, you know, someone's background if you come from something totally different. I get it, but you're in this for a reason. So patience is a must. And like my son said, taking the time to make this person feel safe, if they're resisting, if they say, leave me the F alone, then ask, you know, like, what can I do for you? When can I come back? You know, fake it till you make it. Fake it if you have to. But you're in this and your job is to make this youth feel safe. And so, Simone, can you um, offer any input into that as well? Well, I would just say, you know, it starts with the youth, that youth. If that youth feels like, you know, and I, this is me personally, if I feel like I'm at a, at a home where I know that I want to succeed or I want to, you know, get into transitional housing, I want to graduate high school, whatever it is I want to do, for whatever reason that I'm at that group home where I'm at that place, you know, I wouldn't act out or throw a fit because that's showing that I don't care about my own life. So why would I expect someone else to care? You know, mm -hmm. it starts with myself. And if I'm showing that I'm resilient and I want to work hard and I want to do what I have to do so I can get where I need to go, you know, there shouldn't be any issues, you know, and if a person's at the stage in their life where they're acting out, you know what I mean? And throwing temper tantrums and doing, causing chaos, you know, they're just not at the stage in their life where they're ready 
to get get it together. So, you know, I, I would say just, you know, they're just not ready and give that attention and that, you know, love and that care that they need to another youth who's going to appreciate it and who's going to soak it all up and who's ready to accept it. You know, that's what I would say. So, Mason, can you hear? Okay. So, there are varying degrees of youth that you work with and, you know, there, I mean, oftentimes it's the emotions that youth are feeling. So can you speak to how um, from a life coach or a youth ser service provider perspective, how you can be effective in breaking down those walls and barriers? Man, you know what? Um, uh, just about seeking to understand. And like sometimes when you ask a question, you have to be able to pay attention to like the body language and the uh, nonverbal communication as well you know so like it's a little bit of psychology but like I kind of learned that from like being a server when it came to like offering drinks or different things on the menu to seeing how people will respond like based on how they look at you like tone so on and so on you want to really create a space that's safe enough first for a person to share and then as you begin to you know take baby steps into like inquiring about their life you pay attention to how they respond to certain things and certain questions and, you know, just like certain perspectives. Like you don't necessarily want to go into a situation trying to like pluck a nerve, but if you really just apply, you know, one mouth to ear philosophy, you kind of just pay attention. You know, you almost got to hear it twice and then uh, regurgitate it in order for a person to really like understand and be able to share with what's on their heart. But you got to establish like that type of trust first. So, so I'm uh, not to go long winded or anything, but like um I'm kind of dealing. Uh, oh, oh, was that cool, Miss Kelly? Did you hear me a little bit? Yes, cool. I did. That was fantastic. So Simone, um, I'm, out, I'm outside. It's okay. I know you got a very better connection there. <laughs> um, Simone, one of the um things that came up um, that you had mentioned earlier was that you recognized that you needed to build um connections and you also um, are currently working with staff that are, that are helping you to reach your goals and I think it really shows your maturity I think it shows how you're growing and developing as a young adult and it also shows how you worked hard on your own kind of self-efficacy and so how has that tied back into your um, ability to as you mentioned um accept that um your mom no longer can care for you and and your kind of relationship if you still have relationships with your siblings well you know number one for me is just that if i can get myself together enough if i can get myself stable and put myself on a platform that my younger siblings would look up to or even my mother you know, or father or other foster youth, you know, I feel like that that's the best way to do it, that they will listen. Like, you know, I can't preach to someone, hey, you know, this is how you get an apartment, this is how you get an apartment, but if I don't have my apartment myself. I can't tell someone, you know, this is how you get permanent housing, a house or whatever, if I don't have that. So I think number one for me is, you know, definitely showing to my siblings that I am someone you can look up to and I am, you know, I got your back. And although, you know, our mother is not able to take care of us, you know, you do have an older sibling 
who's working hard every day to provide permanent housing for not just myself, but for all of us. Mm -hmm. So Jackie, um, I think one of the important things too that, that came up even while you were talking was um, just your, your, your ways or your means of accessing resources. So do you feel that most foster youth are aware of what resources are out there and how to access them? Absolutely not. Um, I actually did want to bring that up. It's like for everything, like Simone said, anything that you want to do, whether it's to go to school, whether it's, you know, start a business, whatever it is that you want to do in order to be successful, there are resources out there. Especially being in foster youth, there are so many resources. The thing about it is, it's kind of like you got to hunt for them. You know, you got to go and look for them. You got to go and fish for them. And so the best way to do that, like personally, what I did was, okay, um, Vista was a group home that I had, you know, the best experience at. So I had to get in contact with everyone at Vista and ask them, like, what organizations can help me? I'm homeless. Like, I need help. I'm sitting in my car. What can I do? You guys told me I could come back. So, you know, <laughs> what now? Like, so I went back with that and they were able to give me a list of places. Now, after you're given something, it is your responsibility to follow through, call these places, make an appointment, show up, but they don't do something, you know? And so that's what I did. There's actually a place, the address is 3530 Wilshire Boulevard on the fourth floor. Yep. And um, that place there, you just go, show up and tell them like, hey, look, I'm homeless, I need resources. And they'll have you fill out the application, send them to a variety of uh, group homes or shelters, and that's another way you could get a Section 8 voucher as well. So the resources are there. You just need to, you know, follow through. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you as well, um, Simone, think that uh, foster youth have some awareness or familiarity with kind of the resources that are out there that can help support them? Uh, adding to what Jackie said, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, you know, reaching out to I foster Jackie was talking about on the fourth floor, 3530. Uh, they for one year and they definitely had a system that, you know, they had a portal and you know, you can go there for resources and stuff like that, but it's definitely harder than you know, it just sounds. It's not it's not easy. So I feel like you had like a mentor or, you know, somebody stable in their life who actually knew resources for what they need, which common sense for me is permanent housing because we don't have, you know, anyone to really help take care of us or keep a roof over our head. You know what I mean? So, you know, if, so, if we have somebody in our life who can help us with a permanent housing voucher or help us get into college and apply for college or help us start our business, it had definitely helped foster youth so much, but there are so many youth out there who, who are homeless that I know personally, and they just don't know where to go, what steps to do, how to do it, but they know that they, they need somewhere to go. And so now, you know, that that comes to survival mode. So now I have friends who are in survival mode who, you know, have to do things that they don't want to do to have a stable living environment, you know, which I feel like, you know, it's just messed up if they have somebody stable in their life to help them you know, that they'll probably, you know, be able to successfully reach their goals. I think what's important for the audience to know, because a lot of times they don't get to see 
what kind of happens on the ground or or get a chance to view from a young person's perspective of how difficult it is to make ends meet make ends meet you know um, <laughs> especially when you when um, a young person has aged out or exited the foster care system so I think what you're going to have to be able to explain to the audience is when when you say young people have to go into survival mode what does that look like for a young person like what is kind of um, uh, an action or a trigger for for that survival mode to kick in well one of the things is foster youth my experience in foster care i moved around to a lot of different homes all the time and so I have friends who also grew up in the foster care system and they like immediately, if something goes wrong, sometimes we're triggered and automatically we feel like we have to run because we're so used to people being like, oh, seven day notice her, three day notice her, 24 hour notice her, get her out of here. And so that's when we get into survival mode, like, oh, maybe we, we just have to leave or, or run. You know, we don't know how to really sometimes face the, the issues head on you know, without, or, you know, another means of survival mode is, you know, foster youth uh, may not have a place to live, and now they're in survival mode. Now they may have to live in their car. They have may have to live on a friend's couch, despite, you know, all the, the hardships they've already had to go through, you know, whatever that may have been. Did you want to add to that, Jackie? Yes, absolutely. Um, I personally um, have friends who, you know, grew up in foster care with me and after we left Vista, and it's sad because Vista helped me so much. And all of these are people that were with me at Vista. And a lot of the girls also, you know, ended up homeless or moved out of state with their boyfriend. It didn't work out. So now, you know, um, a lot of them, you know, do sell their bodies. I have friends like, you know, my ex is in jail because he was stealing and selling drugs, got caught up. Um, he also didn't have stable housing. He was 23, so he really couldn't get any resources anymore. So his go-to was doing what I used to do before I went into the foster care system. And so that's exactly what he did. And, you know, that's not the only thing that happens. Like, some people go and depend on drugs, substance abuse and stuff. And yeah, so that's just a personal experience that I have. So, I mean, one of the things that you're, you're pointing out for the audience is kind of the, the importance of having um, access to information as quickly as possible, especially before you're exiting out of the system so that there's a plan for where you're going to go and hopefully um, a transition into stability but also at the same time, you know, Simone, you talked about at least having someone who could guide you through that process. And Mysen, can you talk about some of the activities that you do that are related to helping um, foster youth or young people navigate to those? Miss Kelly, could you Pardon me? Miss Kelly, can you re repeat that last part, please? Yes. So I said, can you talk about or share with the audience kind of your work around helping young people navigate 
to those resources that Jackie and Simone talked about in order to help mm -hmm. them get to a point of stability, whether that, well, for some, housing is the, is the major stabilizer because once someone's in a stable place, a stable home, all others stable here to get to those things like accomplishing uh, either getting a diploma, high school diploma, or getting a college degree, or getting a job, or all those other things that will help our young people thrive. So can you talk about your experience as far as helping young people navigate and get to those resources when they show up at your door? Yeah. So you know what? Um, and everybody can hear me. We're cool. Yes. Rolling. All right. All right. Cool. So you know what? Um, that's where you almost got to separate the real from the fake when it comes to people who are really in this field, because like you got to have a degree of passion about it. Because one of the things that, uh, especially when it comes to like uh, foster youth, is uh, the emotional support and like the emotional patience. Because sometimes they're dealing with different type of uh, pressures and frustrations and insecurities that they may not always want to share. And sometimes this can be fuel that can work for or against the youth. So when it comes to like being uh, the uh, provider in the position, you have to seek to understand. But at the same time, you got to love it for real. Like you got to be passionate enough to be patient. Like you got to be passionate enough to be patient. And like that's where you have to allow them to get through some of the tougher days, allow them to sometimes, okay, maybe we don't need to do it today. Take some time, you know, we'll come back to it in like in a week or two, but like, that's where um, patience comes in because a lot of opportunities are available, especially for youth uh, 18 to 24. And like, if we kind of just go from situation to situation, or if I'm the one that chooses to catch the attitude that day, it's like, it's time loss. Mm -hmm. So like, you gotta be passionate about it. As far as like staff, you really gotta care about what you're doing. Oh, that's great. And so Jackie and Simone, if there's a couple of things, right? Or even one thing that you would want to see changed in the foster care system, what would, what would that change or changes be? Let's start I, I with you, Jackie. Okay. I definitely would say housing is number one like if I can make a change it would be every foster youth gets a section 8 voucher uh, when they turn 18 and you know or 21 whatever so I feel like if work if you set up something where like if a youth does A, B, and C, then they can get a voucher and that shows that they're they're really willing to work hard and they've been through enough and that they've earned it. You know, mm -hmm. I definitely would say that that would drop so much homelessness out here because it, it, majority of homelessness, it, it's a lot of it is foster youth. So if, if foster youth has stable housing, I think a lot of us would be much more successful because then we can move on to our real life regular goal, not just, looking hunting for 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 uh housing you know we have other stuff that we want to do in our life besides get stable you know some of us may want to be doctors lawyers and stuff like that but we can't move forward in our overall dream if we don't get number one down pack which is stable living jackie okay so um personally i would say 
um, it goes back to the resources thing. I think that foster youth, of course, housing, stable housing would really help so much. So that's mm -hmm. definitely a priority. However, before, like me, for example, as soon as I left Vista, I got, you know, my own apartment. But because I still had so much trauma that I had not dealt with, so much pain, so many things, so much anger, hatred, grudges holding against my own family, um, I wasn't able to appreciate and make the best of my apartment, which led me to, you know, after going from a place where there was so much seclusion, mm -hmm. having so much freedom in my own apartment and not being healed led me to uh, substance abuse, like alcohol, for example. I didn't become an alcoholic, but I was drinking a lot, um, you know, breaking the rules, uh, you know, so which led me to getting kicked out. Mm -hmm. So I think before all that, it's very important if group homes and uh, foster homes started to teach youth about resources, such as, you know, I foster, which they do, but teach you how to get your license, go, uh, all those things, again, you prepare you for the real world out there. Um, at the moment, I am working with someone. We're trying to uh, develop a nonprofit organization, and we would love to take the program to Vista Del Mar to kind of test it out and see how it works. One of the coping skills that we would like to provide is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well as classical ballet. These are things that in classical ballet, your, you practice mind and body connection. So it's an amazing coping skill as far as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu teaches discipline. So mm -hmm. it's group homes and foster homes begin to do things that actually help the youth heal or be mentally, you know, and emotionally healthy, I think once we're out in the real world, we'd be better off also. Right. And I think we're going to roll with you on that, especially on coping skills, because you just got ahead of me. So yeah. one of the things, uh, I, as you were talking about that, but before I even get into the coping skills, is we talked about um, drinking, and we know that there are periods where you know young people get into the get into a rut, right? Where they start self-medicating, and that self-medicating either shows up either in the forms of drinking or it shows up in the forms of um, smoking marijuana or even into more of the kind of more serious type of drugs, right? So. When a young person is going through this whole process of self-medication to kind of heal whatever that wound is, what are you hoping to get from people on the outside, whether it's a service provider, whether it's a loved one that's within your um, life or some other caring adult, whether it's from a mentor who's, who's possibly working with you, what are you hoping to get? Are you hoping that um, they're able to recognize that that's what you're doing and are willing to jump in and say something or I mean I'm, I'm just curious what your what your thoughts are Absolutely. so um, I um, I attempted suicide nine times and um, what came out of that every time you know I attempted suicide and this is similar to like you know, drinking, it's just like anything. That was my go-to, suicide. When I felt like it was too much, I can't deal with it, I don't wanna be here, that was my go-to every time. Mm -hmm. And so, personally, what, even though I was grown, and even my mom would tell me, like, you're grown, you just want attention, woo woo. The only thing I really wanted was someone to come and tell me 
I love you and all those things they said that you were, you're none of that. You are love. You're worth it. Your life matters, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in the midst of all that, you kind of just want that one person to show you different, to show you otherwise. And so um, one of my friends, AJ, he was also at Vista with me, um, you know, he attempted suicide and he was actually successful just one time. And that's very heartbreaking because you never know what someone is going through. Mm-hmm. I swear he was the happiest kid I knew, had two beautiful kids, but truth is, you never really know. And um, yeah, I think that's what it is. You just want saving. Just one person makes a difference. And for me personally, it was people like my mentor, people like, you know, Amy, all these amazing people that don't have to, don't have to, but they choose to out of the kindness of their heart. And for that, I will forever be grateful. Simone, do you have anything to kind of reflect on as it relates to kind of the coping skills, the coping aspects of dealing with, um, I would say, life challenges or life circumstances and how or what um, you would expect from someone caring in your life, whether it's an adult, an institution, or, or even a community of faith, what you would expect from them to be of support to you? Well, yeah, I would definitely, you know, expect the people in my life to be a, a good support system towards me. Um, and I think that goes both ways, not just them to me, but me to them, mm-hmm. um, as in respecting them and everything. You know, I, that's just how I feel. So what are some of the coping skills that you try to impart on young people who uh, come in contact with you, Mason. We can't ter- we can't hear you if you could turn on your sound. Okay, yeah, I cut, yeah, I cut the mute. I cut the mute off. All right, we um honestly, this is something that I had. Uh, I'm it's kind of still ongoing in my own personal life. Like I'm dealing with that, like with my own family now. But like uh sometimes you can focus too much on someone's responsibilities and not take enough time to see what's going on in their personal life you know and that's something that uh that's a mistake that we've made you know like as a family hold on I'm a little brighter than went off but uh bottom line it's like uh just being patient with folks and trying to uh empathize and understand where they're coming from like i commend a lot of folks who even see about any type of services because that takes a degree of humility the hardest part is when, uh, you know, a youth or anyone just dealing with any type of addiction or depression, period, uh, acts as if there's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. That's when the game becomes harder because you almost have to, like, become a detective and figure it out. So, like, just allowing them that space. Sometimes you throw things out there or you ask a question, not necessarily for, like, a yes or a no, but just showing people, like, what options are available. So, like, try not to make everything about what they're just supposed to be doing in life. But like what brings them peace in life and understanding how to get past the pain in life. So like, that's a mistake that I've personally made when it came to just focusing primarily on someone's responsibilities, but you gotta take time to really just understand where they are. Mm-hmm. So Simone, you're in school, you're in college, you're in your second year, second year. And so kudos to you because I mean, statistics show that um, this is what less than one percent of foster youth actually graduate from college or complete college 
and many of them drop out the first semester. And so you have demonstrated that you can do it. Congratulations, Terrell, because girl, I've been struggling, but you know, <laughs> because that diploma ain't gonna tell me it took you 20 years to get it, you feel me? Mm -hmm. Congratulations, I'm very proud of you, and I- <laughs> So can, you, can you talk about, from a foster youth perspective, what is it um, like being in college, and, and how do you navigate through the college system in order to get the supports that you need in order for you to complete your studies? Well, it, it's definitely uh, a journey. I would say that is definitely a journey. It's fun because you have to go, you know, to, for example, there's a program at my school called UCNS. So you have to go there and they help you a lot with, you know, resources that you may need. You know, everybody's in different uh, stages in their life, so they definitely work with you on the stage that you're in. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely helpful that to have that type of support system at the school, especially for foster youth. So that's great. Um, I would say it's definitely tough navigating it, but it's, it's doable. If you want to do it, it's doable. you have to have a passion for whatever you're going for. And uh, particularly me, I'm going to school for cosmetology and I have a passion for the cosmetology industry, every aspect of it. So that, that definitely motivates me every day to wake up and go to school. And my classes are, are, all of them are four hours each. So I'm in pretty much school every day, all days. But it's definitely motivating me because I think at the end of this, I'm going to be able to have my license. I'm going to be able to charge. If I want to charge $500, $1,000, whatever it is I want to charge, whatever it is I feel like I'm worth. And I feel like I, the work I'm doing is good. I, I can do that because I'll be my own boss. And that's what's important for me. Mm -hmm. And so you're very entrepreneurial, and I think one of the things that you're 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 showing too is that I know that um, I come in the youth that sometimes I come in contact will say you know education is probably not their path or going college is not their path, and they're very entrepreneurial in their thoughts, their thinking, their practice, in their I often say even in the ingenuity because some of the things that they come up with, I am just totally blown away. And so how do you think from um, a public's perspective, we can support foster youth, especially those foster youth who are not on an education track, who are very entrepreneurial, um, maybe like you, also like you, Jackie, who want to form or, or in the process of starting their own nonprofit, um, what do you think that we should be, we should be doing, or we should be offering to foster youth so that they can reach their kind of entrepreneurial goals and vision? I would say it's all about sitting down one-on-one -on -one and coming up with an educational plan to see what it is that they want to do. If you want to be a, a business person, business people go to college to understand the business world. So we have to sit down and figure out a plan that works for that youth and that works, you know what I mean, for them and not against, you know, whether that's the class flow, because some youth, they can't go to school full time because they have other responsibilities that they have to handle. So we have to sit down and one-on-one -on -one and through how our schedule is going to be, you know, how your tutoring is going to be, your homework schedule, 
and put it all together so when that person's not there with you and you, because we are adults you can you'll be able to manage it on your own mm -hmm. without falling off because they already instilled that into your mind right did you have something to say jackie yes i think um that the issue is amongst the educa uh, educational system the reason for that is because i feel like school teaches kids what to think but not how to think for themselves mm. and that's truly an issue because uh we learn all these skills all these things all these different subjects that you know are not necessary and if i want to be a social worker why do i need to know this for it doesn't make any sense and so just like simone said um i watched a lot of motivational videos and one of them actually mentioned how it things would be so much more different if you would just have that one class in which you take the time to know each student. What do you want to do? You want to do hair? Okay, you don't got to go to a regular college. You go to a cosmetology school. You know what I'm saying? But right. unfortunately, it seems like we're not the priority. You know what I mean? Teaching us how to make money is not the priority. It's more like we waste time and we kind of have to fail and figure it out as we go mm -hmm. along. And they can make things so much more simpler for us. So how do you take care of yourselves? Like, how do you um make your life fulfilling what are some of the things that you do or activities that you partake in oh so like i just mentioned hair is my life i love hair so if i can do something that i know will make someone look better i i would do it of course our appearance is the first thing you're going to see so if i get a foster youth who you know, comes into my shop and she looks how she looks, you know, it's my job to transform her. So the next time someone sees her, she looks amazing, you know, and that's happy for me. And, and that's what makes me feel good. Um, I love doing a lot of things. Anything that involves doing my, with my hands, I definitely love. Uh, so uh, yeah, that, that's some of the things I paint, I like hiking, things like that are, are super fun. I love yoga. It gives me time to relax my mind every time I fall asleep yeah, because it's just that relaxing. Mm -hmm. So things like that I love. Okay. So as far as me, I personally like um, journaling. So I have a success journal. And in this success journal, I have um, I am affirmations or uh, different like prayers, you know, that I just write and stuff like that. I also have a vision board. I like to do vision boards, and I mean the big ones, so I could just kind of get rid of one, make another one, get rid of one, get another one. Mm -hmm. um, I also, I mean, I like to work out, um, but since we haven't been able to go out, I was able to go get me some 20 pound weight, and uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I'm trying to get big up here. <laughs> but I got some 20 pound weights, and I just been, I, I, I got some yoga blocks. And mm -hmm. I don't know about yoga, but I've been watching, you know, YouTube. YouTube teaches everything. It does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> and that's how I've been living with my stress. Great. And so I'm going to ask the audience if you have any questions for Jackie, for Simone, or for Myson, um, please uh, send your, type your questions in because we have about maybe 10 to 15 more minutes and we'll be wrapping up. So, Myson, how do you take care of yourself in order to take care of the youth? 
can't hear you. Uh, reception game. What are we doing? What are we doing? I had to charge my phone up, Miss Cutler. I'm doing it though. I'm here. I'm dedicated. Hold on. All right, so look. All right. So for me, you know, uh, honestly, uh, exercising. You know what I'm saying? Water processing. You know, processing certain things that may like rub you the wrong way. You know, some uh, I was showing y'all my dad, but um, one thing he always taught me was that um, over analysis leads to paralysis. So like, though. Well, I ponder on some things, you know, about my life. Um, I just respect the importance of like action and activity. You know? So like, I, I'd say that to people like, cause you got to balance yourself. I have, I've went into situations where I've tried to like uh, assess different youth or like understand youth. And because of my own like lack of peace that I may have had at the time, sometimes it can, uh, you know, it can disrupt the situation or it can disrupt the bond. So like, you got to balance yourself. It's almost like Iron Man not recharging his armor. You know, it's like eventually you got to be able to recharge and like stay in the game for real. So like for me, you know, like, what's up, brother? Uh, like you exercise, you know, like, uh, you know, you eat right. I, I stay on my water. So like, uh, yeah, you got to be, be good to yourself before you can be good to someone else, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was, good. that was good. Yeah. Okay. So what, if I was to ask you, what you would like our audience or and this is even before our kind of our woke moments gonna give you time to think about your woke moment statement when we get ready to close but if there's something that you want the audience to take away from today's discussion about foster care what is it that you want them to know Either Jackie or Simone. Okay. I, I, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I went first last time. You can go. Ahead. So I was just going to say, um, doesn't matter how big or how small, we all can make a difference. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. everybody can make a difference. Uh, I was looking on my phone, you know, at some of the questions people had on the live, and um, just simple things such as providing resources, you know, finding out, even though you're a foster youth, looking for resources and sharing it with people, whether it be donating, whether you, anything helps, anything, and it applies to everything, even what's going on in the world right now, you know, um, I, you know, I'm a Christian, and so the Bible tells me, even if you have faith, as big as a mustard seed, as big as a mustard seed, as a mustard seed, it's not even as big as a grain of rice, you know, just that much, just that much could take you so far and faith doesn't necessarily, you know, make things easy and magical. It just means that faith will make them possible, you know, and it would help you get through that slump because faith is just you believing in something you cannot see, but you are certain that you will get to the end or make a difference, whatever it would be. And so I would just like to encourage people to, not just focus on making a living, but start making a difference. And that's it. Amen. You preached the whole sermon today. <laughs> we, we saying amen to that one, Simone. <laughs> I would say don't be afraid to, you know, love. We're all human. Um, love shouldn't be a scary thing. Uh, you know, for a lot of foster, we didn't receive love from anybody. So I would say, don't 
afraid to put your heart out there and don't be afraid to put yourself out there because you don't know how the reaction we might we might give. We might, some might turn you down. Mm-hmm. So get up and take it all in. And, and for some, that's just what they needed. That's great. What's a takeaway for Foster Youth Mycin that you, you want to share with our audience before we get into our, our woke moment? You know what? Um, just uh, taking care of folks, like seeing where people are, you know, like especially right about now. It's like um, you're not going to always like understand and sometimes you can't always relate, but like it's kind of like somebody telling you bad news and then you tell them bad news back. Like sometimes you got to be able to like empathize with what they're going through. And sometimes folks kind of just need hugs. People don't always need words of encouragement. Sometimes people just need like you to understand. So if you come across people and I'm saying this to like the live audience. So if you're working with some youth or like foster youth, it's really just about like being patient with them. It's not always about whatever point you feel like they need to understand. Mm-hmm. You have to seek to understand first. That's fantastic. And so now we've come to the point of our Woke Moments um, podcast, in which we ask our guests to share a Woke Moment with our audience. And that Woke Moment, again, could be um, a reflection. It could be a positive comment. And normally, uh, we ask you to say, my Woke Moment is, we start with that. And so um, let's, let's have Myson start first and so that'll give you two time to uh, think about or reflect on your woke moment. So Myson, your woke moment? Um, my woke moment was being reminded of the importance of family and care. And what my obligation is, is like the active patriarch you know, doing what I got to do to respect my father's legacy and to hold down my brother, you know? So like family and like value, like this trip to Detroit kind of just like reminded me of that. So like my woke moment is recognizing the value of family and the value and the importance of my own like obligations as a man. Okay. Simone or Jackie, who would like to go first? My woke moment, Simone. So my woke moment was when I was 17, you know, it just kind of hit. It was like, I didn't want to live the, the life I was living. I didn't, I didn't want to sh- have to struggle or wonder when I was going to eat again or wonder if I was going to have a roof over my head. You know, I did, I did, I was just so tired of just living so rough. And I knew that there was another way because I did have foster care which, you know, foster care isn't all bad because if I didn't have foster care, I wouldn't be here right now. So, you know, for me, uh, going back in a way from foster, from up the foster system about four years previous to being 17. So when I came back from foster care, for me, uh, a woke moment was just get your life together. And, you know, you do have younger siblings that are looking up to you and I, it took, you know, at 17 for me to realize that, like, they're looking up to you, and you have to be a positive role model for them, mm-hmm. so that, that's what definitely motivated me, and that, that was my woke moment, I want to do better so that they know there's better out here, like, I have seven younger siblings, so I have to make it, make them know, like, you know, even though we did grow up in foster care, 
you know, we're not going to be the statistics that people put us in. We're going to make our own way. Great. Jackie? Um, I have to be completely honest. I think my woke moment happened soon after I survived my ninth attempt to commit suicide. Um, I overdosed on over 9,000 milligrams of pills and doctors were just like, couldn't understand like, you know, uh, how did I make it, uh, you know, after so long and stuff. Um, soon after that, I accepted Jesus Christ into my life as my one and only savior. And I can truly say that it doesn't matter, you know, where I'm at, whether it's school, whether I'm allowed to speak about him or I am not. To him is the honor and glory because he saved me. And I am not worthy of his mercy and his love, honestly. But that's when my woke moments happened, when I realized that I cannot put my faith in men. That when I was trying to commit suicide, how did I even think about, you know, first, like, my, my emergency contact was another human being when Creator was there and he could have delivered me, you know? And so my woke moment happened when I realized that I can't do this on my own, that if I don't have Jesus, I am nobody, I am nothing. And honestly, the best thing that I ever did for me was die on that cross. And the least I could do was continue to live to gratify and honor him. Wow. And that's, and that's a, a great reflection on faith and, and that important aspect it plays in the lives of foster youth. And I could do a whole segment on that as well. But, but, but before I close both moments today, I do want to give a few shout outs to agencies that are helping foster youth here within Los Angeles County that are doing stellar work. When I say stellar, I mean stellar work on behalf of um, foster youth. And so I'm just gonna name a few. So if I did not name you, doesn't mean that you're not doing stellar work, but this is because I have really good, great relationships with you. And um, I appreciate, Century of Hope appreciates the partnerships uh, that we have with you. And so, um, of course, we're, uh, and we're getting another notification. Um, so uh, just some of the groups are um, Alliance for Children's Rights, the Right Way Foundation, A Sense of Home, um, Coalition for Responsible Community Development, CRCD, um, Vista Del Mar, Stepping Forward LA, the Children's Rights Center. Um, you all are amazing. I foster too. I don't wanna forget I foster because they were mentioned quite a few times, um, but, Still, I want to say thank you for being um, here, being in the trenches, and, and being here for the long haul for our foster youth. And again, I want to thank the audience for joining us for the close of National Foster Care Month. And I hope that you uh, learned something from today's segment, especially how important um, individuals are in supporting our foster youth um, understanding how strengthening uh, support networks or, or um, support or helping young people to establish um, strong support systems are extremely important in helping youth achieve positive outcomes. So thank you again and I hope that you all have a blessed, restful um, evening and afternoon. And thank you to our guests.
as well. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Simone. And thank you, Lisa, for sharing with us and our audience. Everyone take care and have a good one. Thank you for listening to Woke Moment. For more information about our organization, please visit soh.org. Subscribe to us for a woke moment wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore SOH underscore LA and on Facebook and Instagram at Sanctuary of Hope LA. Wake up!